Hey, it's Joel, and this is Rev Thinking, where I'm sharing all my secrets on how studios and production companies can take their businesses to the next level. Today is April 21st, 2016, and I am excited to be interviewing line producer Loretta Polizzi. Welcome to Rev Thinking. RevThink leverages years of experience and practical wisdom to help owners of top creative studios. So you don't have to choose between following your passion and running your business. Find out more at RevThink.com. Now here's your host, Joel Pilger. Today we're talking live action. One of my favorite subjects, live action production. If you're a studio, maybe motion design is your focus maybe animation, uh, maybe 3D, uh, cell animation, cartoon, that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't have a lot of experience in live action production. So when an an opportunity comes your way for a client asking you to do a big live action shoot for the first time, what do you do? Well, I've been there and I can tell you that what I did was get in touch with a killer line producer. And we're speaking to just such a person today, Loretta Polizzi. She's a line producer based in Denver, uh, but she works all over the country. And Loretta is going to help us uh, understand how do we prepare for a big live action shoot? And what does a line producer do? Even if you're a production company, maybe you're live action savvy, you'll probably pick up some good gems from Loretta. And with that, I'd like to quote an old friend of mine that once said, you know, live action is one of those things that separates the men from the boys. There's just something about it. And maybe now's the time for you to step up and tackle your first big live action shoot. Who knows? Let's find out. Hi, Loretta. So when was the last time? I think, uh, well, the last shoot that we did, we were just saying, was I think in Vegas? In Vegas. It was for... I think it was... Animal Planet. Animal Planet. But we also did a Mythbusters Oh, and was that in Vegas? Or was that in... No, that was in San Francisco. It was San Francisco. Las Vegas was Animal Planet. Yes. So we've done a lot of shoots over the years. I want to say that you and I probably started working together, gosh, 10 years ago? Probably right. See, I think everything was two years ago. You know, it's like I think <laughs> right. everything that ever happened was two years ago. But no, I would say it was probably been maybe 10 years. Yeah, maybe maybe even 10 plus. Yeah. And we probably did, gosh, I wouldn't even begin to be able to count how many shoots we did. It dozens. Was, yeah, dozens and dozens yeah. of shoots. And Loretta, you're a, you're a line producer. Is there a line producer slash... Slash, slash, or is that how you describe yourself to the world? Depends on the job. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a line producer. Um, I'm also a production manager. Mm-hmm. So um, in some jobs, those two positions cross over, and in some jobs, they don't. Got it. So you might do both of those roles on some jobs? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And how, what was maybe the quick version on how did you get to be a line producer? Did you start off working on features as a PA, or did you start off as a you know, a cook for yeah. craft services. <laughs> like what, how did you back into this Don't tell any, anybody in our business, I never PA'd. You never, never PA'd? ever was a PA. So I started my career in post-production. In post, okay. I, I, worked at, I don't think I know this story. I worked at Telemation, remember Telemation? Yes, yes. And big production facility. I worked there, I started in like managing the duplication when we used to make dubs of yes. everything. You don't even do yes. that anymore. Sure. And then I became the operations manager, and I was that for eight years. So then, Telemation shut down, 
And it was big news. Sure. So when the announcement went out that Telenation was going to close, everybody called me and said, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go freelance. So I became a coordinator. Uh-huh. And that's how I started in freelance as a coordinator. So Got I it. skipped the PA stage. So you've been line producing now for roughly how many years? I went freelance in 1993. Well, I started coordinating immediately. And I became a script supervisor, too. I forget. Okay, I knew this piece of the story, but yeah, yeah the script supervisor, that's an actually a really interesting role to have kind of in your, your pedigree. And I love it. I love it. I think having the post background, first of all, made me a better producer, but it made me a better script supervisor because there are a lot of people out there that do that job that have never been in an edit bay. Sure. And they don't know what it takes to cut it together. So they don't really know what's real important on the set and what doesn't really matter. Sure. Um, so I knew that going in. So I'll bet I coordinated for about, I don't know, eight years before I then moved into production managing and then producing. Got it. What about who are the, who are the clients that you serve? I'm, I know you get hired by production companies or maybe by even ad agencies. But who, who, are the, who are the sort of your clients? Who do you work for? Most of my clients are production companies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the majority of it. Now, I do have... Um, like some directors mm. that I've worked with that'll call me uh, to work for them on mm-hmm. a project. Mm-hmm. Um, but the majority is production companies. Um, some post facilities call yeah. me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would say that's the case for sure. And then it's, you know, it's word of mouth. You do a big job with a Los Angeles company, your name gets passed on right. to, you know, which I think is interesting for people to know about you is that you, you're, you're based in Denver, but you have a high volume, if, I'm, if I understand correctly, a high volume of the projects that you work on are L.A. production companies, New York production companies, wherever, that are coming to Denver or maybe Colorado more mm-hmm. uh, generally for mm-hmm. location purposes or for talent purposes. And they call you and say, hey, we need a local line producer who knows all the people, knows all the crew, knows all the whatever, ins and outs. Is, is that about the way it goes? That's exactly the way it goes. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was on a call today, group coming in out of New York, got my name from a job I did with a group in L.A., and they were friends. So they were talking to each other, and she said, I'm going to Denver, and they passed my name along, so I got the call, which is great. I, I know a lot of people, and I have a lot of contacts, which is you know, it, that's most of it. That is most of it. And I'm going to, I would add that I'm guessing that those contacts, of course, there's a, a lot of those are Denver and Colorado, but I know I called you to do a shoot in Vegas and you to do a shoot in San Francisco. So those connections actually are all over the country. Right. They are. Yeah. They are. Yeah. All right. So here's my, here's my question for you, right? This is sort of the, to- the heart of the topic that I want to get to is... When I think of my clients and the, the sort of the corner of the industry that I uh, m- mostly work in, which is not just production companies, but also motion design studios or even animation companies, and post-production companies, visual effects companies. Some, someone that's a good friend of mine once said, you know, live action is kind of what separates the men from the boys. And I liked that because I think it's true that when you look at the body of work of companies that do live action and do it well, they're in a different league than people who don't. Now, that said, 
If you're running a motion design studio and you've never done a live action shoot, what do you do when a client calls and says, hey, we love that awesome campaign that you did for us. We want to do the same thing this year, but we want to do a live action version. And of course, if you're a smart business person, you say, awesome, we'd love to do that for you. Mm -hmm. And you hang up the phone and go, holy crap, what the hell are we going to do now? Right? We've never done this. Right. Like we maybe have done little things here and there, but now we might be doing a $100,000 or $200,000 shoot. Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity, but there's a lot that can go wrong. It can be scary. It can be like, how does it work? Right? So my sort of broad question to you, where does a motion design studio, where does an animation company, where do they start? And what are sort of the questions they should be asking before they pick up the phone and call you or whoever to start the process of wrapping their heads around the scope of it, the budget of it, of it so forth? Where do they start? Well, they start by calling me <laughs> or someone like me. Okay, they, call, so, so, they call a producer. So in other words, it's, not, it's, not, it's never too early to call a producer no. who specializes in live action. I got a call from a post-production company that was expanding into doing live action. They called me and said, we want to do this shoot. We have this client and we have a lump of money. Mm -hmm. So let's say just for the sake of easy math, it's $100,000. They called me in and said, what can we do with this? So what we do is we start talking creative because usually if a client calls a post company or a graphics company, they've already got creative in mind. Mm -hmm. and, and what I do is take the lump of money and break it down. Mm-hmm. And to the AICP bid, which we all know. Well, right. And we, we, we all know. But let's say uh, to people who don't know, what is AICP? I know it's the Association of Independent Commercial, Commercial Producers. Producers, Or right? productions. Productions. But, but what, what, the re reason I even bring that up, it's, it's the bid form that we use. Every single thing you do on a shoot is um, a line. That's where the term line producer comes from. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so let's say we, rent, we have to rent lights. That's a line, and it's a line number in the budget. Um, you hire PAs, that's its own line. Producers, directors of photography, everybody has a line. Right. And what a line producer does is manage that budget and yeah. those lines to make sure if you say, the DP is going to cost you $2,000. You get a DP for $2,000. Right. So this is essentially a giant spreadsheet, but it's an industry standard spreadsheet right. that all, I guess, you know, all the big boys use as a way to communicate with their clients. This is how the money is going to be spent. Correct. Correct. And, and it helps you sort of keep that production as you track a job and you're tracking costs. You, there's ways to like do what we call a working budget and, and all that. So they call me in and I take the numbers and I break it down. One of the first questions that I ask them that they don't think to ask if they're not used to doing live action is what is the buy? So let's say... Ah, and, and, the media buy. Exactly. 90% of the time with people in that situation, they don't know the answer. And you have sure. to find that out. What is the media buy? Is it going to air regionally? Is it going to air just in our state? Is it going to air nationally? Is there web? 
attach I, because that all affects the talent rate. Why is that? Why would that affect yeah. talent? Like I hire an actor, who cares? He just exactly. shows up for a day and I pay him, right? And, and they don't think of that. And they don't think of things, too, that we understand as producers and have sort of try to help them is you pay a session fee and then you pay a fee for it to air. So let's say you want to do a commercial and it, that commercial is going to air for a year and that's what we buy. So, so that's the media buy, the term of that, right? Media, the length of that media buy. It's okay? going gonna, gonna to air for a year in Colorado only. So we're doing two things. We're paying that actor to show up and work and we're paying that actor for a year of his image being in this commercial. Well, let's say you want to, the commercial's a hit, and you want to air it a second year. Well, you don't need to pay him to show up to work again. You only need to pay him the rate to air the commercial again. Sure. And most people don't think of that. Sure. And they'll, they'll, they won't negotiate that second year. That, those are the little things that a, a producer who has experience can help with and save money with. So these are some of the questions that people just, that haven't done it, need to think about in advance because often the client ask just says, we want you guys to shoot, do this live action shoot for us. It's going to be a commercial and off you go to the races, but you may not have thought about, Oh, talent. Okay. What is the media buy? Is it going to run here mm -hmm. for how long local, regional, national? And then what about the question of union and non-union? Right. Right. And, and not a lot of people understand when something has to be union and something has to be non-union. And there's the whole issue of what we call a signator to mm -hmm. the union. Some production companies, a lot of the big LA con companies, are signatories to the union. So when they hire crew, it has to be union crew. Mm -hmm. When they hire actors, it has to be union actors. And when they hire um, directors, they have to be members of the Directors Guild. Got it, the DGA. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not always the case. I've done commercials where the actors are SAG, but the crew is non-union. Um, if the director, if we take a DGA and the directors are going to be union, you still don't have to have IA or and actors. I and not a lot of people know that. And IA, you mean? IATSE. Oh, and I that's see. what most crew people are. Got it. That's the, crew, the union for right. crew, generally. Right, right. Yeah, see, that's such an interesting question because I think there's an assumption that if a client says, oh, we want big name actor, mm -hmm. who is obviously union, mm -hmm. then, oh, this is now a union shoot, and oh my gosh, the price just doubled, and what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not that simple. No, and it's not always the case. Right. Um, so, and there's tons of ways to do it, mm -hmm. and do it um, to meet their needs. Every job is different. Every client is different. If indeed it's a big, like a lot of the companies in... Uh, LA, the big companies, the supply and demands and the biscuits and all that, you know, they're union houses. Yeah. So those jobs tend to be union. Um, but I got a call today for a job from a New York company that wants to come here and shoot. The talent has to be SAG, but the crew doesn't have to be union. Got it. So, and in Colorado, you know, we don't have that much union work here that um, a lot of the non-union stuff doesn't become an issue. Got it. So it sounds like, again, this is where you're such a helpful resource because depending on where you're shooting, all of a sudden those union versus non-union 
rules, options, whatever come into play. Like, oh, Colorado, here's kind of the way you can do it this way, that way, or another. Mm -hmm. But if we're shooting in Washington or Oregon, it's that, that, that. If we're in California, well, now we're in California. Oh, yeah. we're in New York. Now we're in New York. Yeah. Am I, am I right? Yeah. And, and I've done non-union shoots in L.A. Mm -hmm. And I've done union shoots in L.A. So it just... The rules are not hard and fast. It's not. It's, there's, there's a lot of gray area stuff. Yes. Um, you know. Yes. So what are the things that first-timers, what are some classic mistakes even? Like what are maybe some of the things that they look back and say, okay, on our next shoot, we're going to call the producer earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. That, 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 might, that yes. might be an obvious one. Um, things like locations. Oh, or uh, we didn't know we needed a permit. Right. Um, we didn't know about weather contingency. Right. I mean, are there just some sort of like and basic things. I know there's a lot. I'm asking sort of like there's obviously a thousand things that can go wrong. Yeah. But are there some common? Common things are not having production support. I just finished a job where they they've been doing this shoot for like three or four years. Agency would take crew and do the shoot without having production support. The director said to me, I can never do that again because they had no help. And so I went and I brought a coordinator with me and it was a totally different experience for them because production stays ahead of you. You know, the moment you start shooting, I'm on to the next thing that we need to do and make sure that happens. And when you don't have that and a classic mistake is, then your day becomes a nightmare and it becomes chaotic. You can't have a crew standing around waiting because time is money and everybody's getting paid. So you have to, when you move, and you know, shoot and move, yes. that next thing has to be ready when you walk in the door. Well, that's production's job. See, that's what that. our department is. I love that because I think, too, people that are really experienced with live action, they have a really good sense of how to build a schedule. They know about how many takes, you know, they can sort right. of afford right. the luxuries of, can we tweak the lighting for another five minutes? Yes. Yeah. Right. But people that haven't done it, I think will tend to show up and start shooting, and if they're not confident, they're going to go a little over. They're going to get, oh, I need a few more takes. Yeah. I'm not really sure that that lighting is right. Let's tweak a little more, right? And what that, I think the point that you're making is that can turn an eight-hour day into a 10-hour day, into a 12-hour day, God forbid, into a 20-hour day. Yeah. And there we go into the big bugaboo, right, of overtime, overages, yada, yada, yada. Exactly. And those costs can be really big, really fast. Why is that? Well, so basically a crew day is a 10-hour day. So if a crew member is making $500 a day, mm -hmm. that's for 10 hours. Hours 11 and 12, if you go over, is time and a half. Anything after 12 is double time. So that adds up really, really fast. So you don't, if at all costs, want your crew going into overtime. Right. That's why you have to keep moving and keep shooting. And a mistake that new um, or people that are just doing it for the first time, you need, they don't lock in the creative before they're on the set. There are words, here's a phrase that I hear on sets that scares me to death. Well, what if we tried... And whatever. Oh. That's the worst thing you can do on a set. But what if we tried? It's like, no, no. 
So you, that's almost like <laughs> that's you, not the time to do that. That time to do that is in prep. Right, and so that's almost a red flag that you, when you hear that, you immediately think, "Uh oh, we we have problems. We have <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Let's yeah. be careful. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm thinking how most companies when they get awarded a project, it's a not to exceed bid. So for, in the example of your hundred thousand dollar bid, that's that's the money you get. It's a fixed bid. It's a fixed bid. Yeah. So when you go into overtime, that is your costs just may have gone up $10,000 or what have you. Mm -hmm. And that just comes right out of your pocket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the client is going to look at you and say, client doesn't care. Yeah. Too bad. You, you're the one who you're the expert here and you figure it out. Right. Right. I gave you a hundred thousand dollars. You give me an awesome commercial. Right. Right. And there are things that can change. You know, for example, let's say you get on on the set and the client decides, boy, a crane would be, you know, an overhead shot would be great. And they want you to bring in a crane. Well, that was never part of the deal. So that can become an overage, you know. Sure. And a good producer who has experience will say, why, of course we can get you a crane. Here's how much it's going to cost. Right. You know. <laughs> and that's a little side conversation that you have with the client in real time. Well, because, of course, we're over here shooting, right? Sure. Director and talent agency, whatever, but there's a conversation that happens over on the side between you and the agency or you and the client Mm -hmm. to say, hey, I heard we want a crane. That's wonderful. (laughs) Congratulations on, you know, really stepping up this, this establishing shot, but it's going to cost X. Exactly. It's going to sign this piece of paper paper, (laughs) and I'll get you a crane. And it might add another hour to our day, Mm -hmm. which means we do go into time and a half, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Right. Yeah. Right. What about weather contingency? Because that was something that always terrified me is... We're going to go do a shoot, and it's, got, it's going to be all exterior. You know, we're outside of an auto dealership or something. And then I think, well, what if it rains? Mm-hmm. We're just, are we just screwed? Do we reschedule? Like, how, do, how does that get sort of figured out? Because Right. So weather contingencies should be discussed again at the time the job gets awarded. Very early. Very early on. And generally how you you sort of budget for a weather day, you will put it on a separate line in the budget Mm -hmm. and say, say we're going to shoot on Thursday and it rains. So we have to move it to Friday. The really the cost there, it's the crew and the location and potentially the gear. But all the prep is done. So you're not going to pay for that again. All the time we spend ahead of time, the props are there. You know, so you don't have to pay for that again. So you come up with a number that the client agrees, well, this is what it's going to cost me if it rains. Right. And if, that's, if, the, if that hasn't been discussed in advance, and God forbid it rains, you're suddenly in a giant pickle because now you've got huge expenses and you're scrambling to renegotiate or whatever on the fly. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I right? Mm-hmm. So it's obviously just best to have that conversation always very early and say, what if? Right. And are you comfortable with adding a line item for a weather contingency? Right. And of course, I'm, you know, most clients, the answer is, well, no, I can only pay what I can pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still worth having the conversation because if you just hope for the best, you're really gambling. So let me, let me sum up this. So if I, if I understand the line producer role, if I've never done a really serious, sizable live action shoot, I can call you and say, here's the creative, here's our budget, you know, maybe here's a few other parameters, like 
we know we're going to hire this kind of talent. We've asked about the media buy. We talked about to our client. We mentioned maybe weather contingency because we're doing exterior, whatever those other little parameters are. But if I hire you, you can figure out not only here's a budget that solves that and is going to produce a, a really good end result, but you will also then contact all of those subs and book them mm-hmm. and even rent the equipment. And I mean, you're really going to run my shoot in a sense, even though the day of I'll have a director and an assistant director, right. other people that are, you know, quote, running the set. Right. But you're really sort of the um, conductor of sorts of bringing the whole project together. That's exactly right. Is it a fair, a that's, fair statement? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the advantage of having been in the market for so long and then working all over like I have, you know, I already have all those connections and I know the crew people. And, and I know that if we're shooting tabletop and it's food, I know that I'm going to hire a certain crew. But if we're shooting running footage and we're out in the mountains and it needs a lot of rigging, I know I'm going to hire a different crew. Sure. So I know, but I know the market so well, and and producers are connected. And, and well, this is why I, I I always loved finding experts like you, right? Because when I started doing live action shoots, I didn't know, I didn't know, and I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Right. And so being able to call in someone like you, it was just like this. Ah, okay. Loretta is the answer woman that not only has all the answers, but she can pull together a solution that I can then take back to my client and confidently put forward as, yes, we're going to do your shoot. Yes, it's going to turn out great. And here we go. And then as we go through the process, there you are every step of the way, right. you know, sort of figuring it out, making decisions, telling people where to go and what to do. And, you know, and then when a project ends, What's your, what's your role look like as the project wraps up? So then when we wrap the job, um, my job is to get everything you need. I get all the invoices. I get all the time cards. I get all that. I do what we call actualizing the budget. So I plug in all the numbers, um, again, into that spreadsheet and um, know exactly where we are. And a good producer knows where they are through all the steps. Right, I mean, along not, the way. You don't wait till the end. Um, and then I turn all that in and I, I build a wrap book, bring it back to the company and say, okay, you have to pay this bill, pay this bill, this one we already paid, you know, and it's all laid out for them. So it's, and it even includes those talent, talent releases releases. and contracts. Yeah. Those contracts. And you know, one other thing I I do want to mention about young, uh, company, not young companies, but companies new, new to the live action. We had a situation and it was when we were working together, we had a shoot we were doing in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. We had done a lot of prep, and like a couple of days before we were supposed to travel, the shoot got canceled. Right. I remember. And, and I remember everybody came to me and said, oh, my God, how much money have we spent? And the reality is, and what you need to know, is we didn't spend that much. You spent money on me for prep. I spent money on a location scout. But for the entire crew, I had them on hold. 
I didn't book them. And that's a big, there's a big difference. Wow. When you hold somebody, you can release them without paying them. If you book somebody, you have to pay them. And I didn't book any of the crew except, of course, for the scout who had already done work. And we bought plane tickets. I mean, that kind of stuff cost them money. Right. Incidental stuff. But it, if you didn't know to do that, it would have cost your company a lot more money. Well, and what's, God, that's such a great example of <laughs> wisdom, right? Speaking of how to manage those kinds of jobs. Because if I haven't done a shoot before, what do I know? I just figure, exactly. okay, go out and book everybody and let's, let's do this. And then, oh, wait, the client canceled a few days before the shoot. So what would, have, what would have happened had we booked everyone is suddenly we would have had, I don't know, thirty dollars or $40,000 worth of invoices coming in. And I would have then had to go to the client who canceled and say, oh, but you canceled and you got to pay all these bills. Right. And guess what? We all would like to think that clients would say, yeah, I understand. But what they actually usually say is, no, 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 no. And all of a sudden you get into this big argument and arguments are great ways to lose clients. To lose clients. And, and if you do go back and you say, well, we protected you, and this is all it's going to cost you, that's going to get you more work from that client. Right. Yeah, no, I, I love that because, yeah, being able to go back and say, okay, you canceled. Um, the good news is <laughs> our awesome line producer only had everybody on hold, so we just avoided spending thirty or $40,000 of your money. So you only need to pay us for... X, Y, and Z, which right. is pretty incidental. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a great, big one. That's a big one. And that's yeah. a great example of you don't know what you don't know until you've been through it. Exactly. And gotten burned or made right. that mistake. And you say, oh, wow, how do we avoid this next time? So, And that applies to talent, too. You don't book talent, you check their avail. <laughs> check their avail. Check their avail. That's what we say. And uh, um, you don't book them until you know it's a go. Yes. So let me ask this, the question of now it's time to pay everybody. Mm -hmm. And if I think of the way most of these companies engage subcontractors, they say, send me an invoice, I pay you a check, and then at the end of the year, my accountant will send you a 1099. Correct. Okay. But that is a big issue because there's a thing called workers' comp, there's a thing called withholding, there's a thing called means testing with the IRS. If these people are working under certain conditions, they could be considered employees, all this sort of stuff, right? How, you know, maybe the, the alternative to paying people that way is you hire a payroll service mm -hmm. who handles all of that. Right. And for an additional fee or percentage or whatever, you go through a payroll service. What's the broad brushstroke of, yeah, here's something, if you haven't done it before, what you should be thinking about in advance. I always recommend people using a payroll service because it protects, it protects the production company. You don't have to carry your own workman's comp and all that because technically they're not working for you. They're working for the payroll service. Right. They're the people that pay them. Mm -hmm. um, some of the smaller companies can't do that because it is more expensive. You figure um, about 36% mm. on labor. Um, but then you don't have to worry about anything. But me as an independent contractor should have my own workman's comp. Right. So should. if I sign an independent contractor form right. when you hire me, then I'm 
I should be responsible. Again, it's a gray area. A, a lawyer, if really, if, a, if I got hurt on your set, you know, and I had the right lawyer and he went after you, the independent contractor form could mean nothing. Right. So the safest thing to do is to use a payroll service. Right. Um, not all budgets can support that. Right. So I think it's worth mentioning as one of those questions to ask early. You know, I'm going to ask you as my line producer, okay, this shoot is only $50,000. And based on the creative, wow, it's going to be a really tight budget. Can we, I call it, build a job or process the job 1099 style as mm-hmm. opposed to payroll W-2 service. style. Yeah, and that's where you would say, hmm, let me run the numbers both ways and see what it looks like, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm with you, all other things being equal, of course hire a payroll service. Of course, right? And then mm-hmm. the reality is, yeah, the budget can't support the, that. The budget can't support Like, it. I can't, as a production company, uh, make any money. I can't make any profit because my production fee is going to go towards uh, labor costs instead. Mm-hmm. And you do you do have production insurance. And well, that was my next question, right? Yeah. If, what is production insurance? Right. So production insurance covers all the gear, all of the vehicles, all of the... Um, so let's say you go on a shoot and the 18K explodes, which is a big light, <laughs> and they're really expensive. Production insurance would cover that. All equipment houses are going to require an insurance certificate if you're going to rent their gear. So you have to have it. Um, and as well as locations, you have to insure the location. We did a shoot where, and you know, we're so careful not to, to damage anything. And the whole thing is you, you should leave a location better than when you found it. But there was damage to a house. And we were... We were horrified that it happened. We'd worked in this house before. Production insurance covered it, and we redid all their floors because some of the lights they put up scratched the floors. Got it. Yeah, that's a, and that's a great example of you don't want to be trying to secure production insurance a day or two before the shoot. Yeah, right? and for a graphics design company that is going to do one shoot maybe every year or so. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for them to carry production insurance. Meaning but you not, can, a, not an annual policy. Right. You can do what we call a one-off, and you just get the policy for that particular job. Got it. And what that's going to cost you is totally based on what you're going to spend. Yeah. So in other words, the, bu- the, the insurance company will look at the total budget of the shoot, some other particulars, and they'll say, oh, it costs X. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not prohibitive to just get production insurance for one shoot. No, and I would never do a shoot without it. Yeah. I just wouldn't. There's too many moving parts. Well, it's a classic, uh, you know, I've seen it happen where, you, you know, you go to a, someone goes to a camera rental house and says, oh, yeah, we, we finally can afford, you know, we're going to rent the Alexa and we're going to get these, you know, fabulous Cine lenses and mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. And the production house says, great, where's your where's cert? Your, where's your cert? Where's your insurance certificate? Mm-hmm. And if they, you don't present that thing they and it has you. the proper coverage amounts and so forth, they say, sorry, yep. can't do it. Yeah. And insurance is a big deal. You know, again, a producer who has experience and knows how to deal with it. I just did a huge job for Toyota. We had moving vehicles. We had pyrotechnics. We had animals on the set. We, 
the the riders that we had to add to the insurance policy. And I a, mean, a rider is like a, rider a special is, is additional an, additional coverage. Got it for the animal for for the animal for the for, for the, the fire for. I mean, we had explosions. I mean, it was you name it, and that job had it. We had drones flying overhead wow. um, on above Mount Evans that needed its own insurance policy. So. Not to mention its own FAA certification clearance. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's a whole new thing because sure. we are shooting with drones a lot Commonly, now. Yeah. So you have to make sure all that paperwork is covered off. And you have to make sure you can fly a drone in the location you're going to use because you can only be, you have to be so many miles from an airport or right, whatever. Right, so, All those interesting little considerations. Lots of moving parts. So for a line producer like you, what, I'm just curious, like, maybe for my audience's sake too, what, does the, what do budgets even range in your world when you're doing commercial shoots? I'm guessing you do shoots that are 10000 Do they go up to a million dollars even? Uh, yeah. That <laughs> shoot I just did, that we were just on, that was a million-dollar shoot. Wow. Yeah, that was a million-dollar shoot. Shoot. Not right. even post-production. Didn't include post or creative yeah. or media buy or yeah. all this kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah I think the largest one... We were ever involved in was maybe six or seven hundred thousand, and it was an LA shoot, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was outside the zone. Mm-hmm. And we had a lion that we rented, and a lion tamer, and all these kinds of things. And yeah, I, all I can say is, without an expert line producer, no way. You'd waste money. Oh my god! Well, not only that, you would end up getting sued because mm-hmm. you would something would fall through the cracks that would prevent you from delivering on the creative. Mm-hmm. And then the client would be standing there saying, where's my thing right. that I paid so dearly for? And you're on the hook for it. And to your point about production insurance, probably my least favorite story in all my years of doing live action shoots was one that we did on film, right? Which was actually this physical material back <laughs> decades ago that people used that you know we had to process with chemicals and things little joke there but mm-hmm. we did a shoot in on film in los angeles and a pa brought it to the airport and ran it through the x-ray right classic mm-hmm. right you've heard this story a hundred times yeah. right but for the sake of people who haven't heard it so by the time the film gets to dallas i think where it was being processed and then we go to a telecine session which we don't do those anymore right right <laughs> It was ruined. Yeah. And we're standing there going, okay, wow, that was $125,000 that just went poof. We called our insurance company and said, hey, big problem. We need to make a claim. They said, well, you know, if you check carefully in the fine print of your policy, it says x-ray is not covered. Negative insurance. Negative is what insurance. It's right. Yeah. Well, guess what? We said, no, the policy we have says it does cover it. They said, no, we sent you a notification by mail several months ago saying that that clause had changed. They didn't send it certified mail. Mm. On that little loophole right there, we got $125,000 and redid the shoot. Oh, that's great. That was great, except guess what? We had to redo the shoot next week. It took us nine months to get the check from the insurance company. (sighs) Because it was essentially a legal battle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where I really want people to understand. The reason live action separates the men from the boys is it does have some very serious risks. So think about it. Talk to the right person. Do your homework. But if you do it well, man, it's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just 
there's nothing like live action. And when it's done well, it's, it's fabulous. And I, of course, encourage every company to get into it, yeah. explore it, leverage it, make the most of it because it's, it's just a, a huge game changer. My favorite place to be is on the set. You know, and, and the wonderful thing about our world in hiring freelancers, you get to pick and choose who you work with and kind of everybody's on their best behavior because they want to get hired again. So it's just, it's a good um, experience. It's a good atmosphere. And I love it when you're on a set and the crew's really pulling for the success of the project. And that's when you know you're working with professionals. Everybody wants it to be a success. It makes it really fun. Yeah. It makes it really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and answering all these crazy questions and sort of diving into all these minutiae. So how, how do people find you? How, if somebody needed to get in touch with you and enlist your help or ask you questions? You can give them my phone number. <laughs> yeah, they can get in touch with me and I'll, yes. I'll point them your way. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right, thanks again. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, this was fun. Thanks for listening to RevThinking. For more insights on running your creative studio or to ask us a question, visit RevThink.com. We'd love to hear from you. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.